0: This is a UC Public Policy Channel program from the Goldman
1: School of Public Policy at UC Berkeley. Visit us at www.uctv.tv public-policy for
0: more discussion on solutions for the good of all. Welcome to the living room of the Goldman School of Public Policy. We're continuing our interviews with people at the Goldman School doing wonderful public policy work. We have here today... Uh, Jesse Rothstein, professor of public policy and economics at the University of California, and Evan White, who's executive director of the new California Policy Lab. Welcome. Thank you. Let's start with you, Jesse. So what's the idea of the California Policy Lab? And try to give me as many explicit examples of what you think might be possible with the California Policy Lab.
2: Sure. I'll start with the general idea, which is that we have a lot of expertise here in the university at figuring out what works in government and trying to understand mechanisms that would, that would lead to better policy designs. Meanwhile, there are a lot of people in government who are trying to do this work, and the academics and the government people aren't necessarily talking to each other because they speak different languages. And so the, the idea of this lab is to try to bridge those two worlds try to bring that expertise to bear to help government agencies in California at the state and at the county and the local level help them solve their problems and understand what works. So
0: very much in the mission of a public policy school, let's make government work better.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, that, so there's lots of barriers to those kinds of collaborations, and we're trying to, to bring down those barriers and make it easier to do them. And-
0: so explicitly, what do you think it might be able to accomplish? Can, you know, a particular example would be wonderful. Sure.
2: Uh, So we're doing a bunch of projects with different counties that are that are interested in their what they call high utilizers. People who are very heavy users of various social service or criminal justice programs. When in the few cases where counties have put their data together and, and been able to track it, what you find is that the high utilizers for criminal justice programs also tend to be the high utilizers for mental health programs and for social safety net programs. And the aggregate cost for them across all those programs is enormous, and it can justify lots of lots of program lots of interventions that might might help to take care of them, and do it more effectively than than leaving each program to handle them separately.
0: So, by doing it separately, a lot of money is being spent, but it's not clear that it's being spent very effectively.
2: Exactly, exactly. And if we and so- know that
0: they're getting all these programs, we might say, well, let's get a little task force together. Let's focus on this family or or whatever, and try to solve their problems. Exactly.
2: But the first thing you need to do that is to link the data together from across the program so you can tell who those people are.
0: So just, just the fact that agencies don't have common data sets means they don't even know. Exactly. Don't even know. That sounds so simple.
2: Once you get into IT infrastructure, it's not so simple to, to do, but the idea is simple, and it's, it's I think, a very promising promising area where the kinds of expertise that we can bring to bear can help them identify people. And then once they have proposed interventions, we'll be able to help evaluate whether those interventions are working.
1: And what you find is that within government, the folks who are running these programs might be focused on their particular program and not even sort of pausing to ask themselves the question of, you know, what could I learn if I were to combine this data with with some other information that we have from a different department or a different part Mm -hmm. of, of the county or state government? And so to be able to expand their horizons about what kinds of questions it's possible to answer, I think is one of the roles of the Policy Lab.
0: Is this something we could have done 20 years ago?
1: Not really. The The data systems were
2: much more primitive then, and the if you had two different data systems that were built on different architectures, it was next to impossible to make them talk to each other. It's much easier now.
0: So the rise of big data tools and, and approaches that Silicon Valley and others have Developed make it possible to do this much more easily. I think actually even twenty years ago, it was hard to get all the data into a computer because there was so much of it.
2: Exactly, exactly. And the today, kinds of, right? The, mag, the size of the databases that a, even a large county would have, a few or a small county, a few uh, twenty years ago would have had trouble fitting into a, even a reasonably powerful computer.
0: As you know, 20 years ago, I was trying to do some of this work and did do it, where we were comparing various counties with respect to welfare reform. We had a 15-terabyte tape robot in the basement of the building in which I was working, which at the time was state-of-the-art. Uh, and today, 15 terabytes, you can actually fit on a simple disk in a relatively small computer. So really, things have
1: changed enormously. Yeah. And what we found is that you know the advances in computing are there and the technology is there and the private sector has figured out how to make those connections Uh, but at the government level uh, many times they, they want to be able to do that sort of analytics, but they don't necessarily have the capabilities or the capacity to do it. And what we'd like to become is a platform for doing that kind of work with the University of California, right? So, so they know that this is a place, the California Policy Lab is a place where they can come to do these types of research projects where we can take care of things like the data infrastructure uh, we can take care of things like the confidentiality and security of the data. We can take care of things like the data sharing agreements, which legally are actually quite burdensome. Uh, and then we can also pair them up with some experts uh, from, uh, like Jesse and others of our faculty affiliates uh, from the University of California, who can really help them design their projects and, and actually do some of the work to figure out. Um, uh, what's happening and what's working and how to, how to scale that up.
0: So tell me about confidentiality and security. I think many people, when they hear about this kind of thing, they say, well, maybe this would make government work better, but I'm worried that they're going to have data they're going to be putting together and they're going to do things that they shouldn't be doing with those data. So how do you
1: deal with that? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really reasonable concern, and it's one that we feel very seriously about. that the, uh, the reality is, is that most of the research that, that needs to get done does not require uh, an understanding of who the actual individuals are. What it requires is a linking together of different information about individuals and then sort of stripping out all of the information that's specific to, 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 to specific persons. Um, and uh, and so what we aim to set up is, is, is a place where we can uh, maintain the confidentiality of the individual records mm-hmm. and just do research on the sort of... Um, the de-identified records.
0: So you try to anonymize the data as much as possible, make sure that researchers aren't working with data that would allow them to identify anybody. And furthermore, it sounds like you're saying most researchers actually don't care about individuals per se in their research. They obviously care more generally in terms of trying to make those people's lives better, but they don't really care about individuals. They're trying to understand patterns that are occurring.
1: That's exactly right.
2: And in some ways, I think this kind of a project has the promise to really improve the security of this kind of information. Mm-hmm. So in the so High Utilizers Project in particular, this problem isn't new. It, it's, it's been a problem that they're aware of at the individual caseworker or police officer level. But what do they do right now if they run into somebody? Well, the police officer gets on this radio and, and calls out the person's name to get to the caseworker because yeah, that's, well, that's the only way to make that communication happen. Mm-hmm. Or we and had so-
1: one county where, where the police officers and social workers and people in the emergency rooms were exchanging social security numbers over email in order to, in order to serve these high-utilizer individuals. And, and, and by setting up an integrated data system uh, that provided the information necessary uh, to each of those users and only that much information, it actually improved the security.
0: Obviously academics have sets of questions they like to ask. And agencies have problems they like to solve. How much do those really mesh, or are they really quite different kinds of things?
2: Well, you know, I'm a public policy professor. The kinds of questions I'm interested in are the ones that are relevant to policy. Mm -hmm. It may not be the one that the county administrator needs to answer next week. It might be one that's a little bit longer term. But but there's a lot of overlap between what our faculty affiliates are interested
0: in and what the so tell me some of those short, medium, long-term questions that people are asking.
2: Sure. So I'll give you an example of a, of a project we're working on. This happens to be for the University of California, but it could be for somebody else. I'm working on a project to understand whether different admissions procedures lead to a more or less diverse class of admitted students, uh, specifically focused on whether letters of recommendation allow the, university to, the admissions office to, to pick out strong students that they might have overlooked. Um, so the idea is a, to
0: not compromise on quality but make sure you have the information that allows you to identify even better high-quality individuals.
2: That's the idea. It's a, it's a question whether it will work, and this is a very important question for the university because they're trying to decide how to do this, and they need, they need an answer right away. It's also of great interest for, for the academic literature to try to understand how quantitative and qualitative information interact in, in making this kind of decisions. I think it's relevant to employment decisions. Mm-hmm. It's relevant to lots of cases where we, where we try to bring in non-quantitative information into this kind of a decision.
1: Right, that's exciting. So if I could expand on that, I I think our goal is to work with faculty affiliates who are very interested in doing policy-relevant projects, and so in that way enable the government agencies that we're working with to really set the agenda about what the research we're going to be doing is. Uh, So just as an example, uh, we're working with a probation department uh, in California uh, that's really interested in in creating a research partnership and has a couple of projects. One of them has to do with the elimination of fees and fines in that county and and looking backwards at uh, at the elimination of those fees and fines in the juvenile system to see what impact that had on the families, on the juvenile, uh, his or herself. Uh, and on recidivism into that system. Uh, And another project that... uh, Let's just stop there a minute, because people may not realize that fees and fines have
0: become more and more a part of the criminal justice system, partly as agencies try to pay for their services. And so they charge fees and fines, sometimes to people who aren't even offenders, just people who, for some reason or another, show up in the courtroom, maybe eventually acquitted, but they still have fees or fines to pay. And then this can become a drag, obviously, on their lives... Uh, and a problem in terms of them moving forward.
1: That's right, there's a, there's a great report um, that was put out by uh, the Policy Advocacy Clinic at UC Berkeley Law School, um, which found a couple things. One is that uh, some of the fees and fines that are being assessed may in fact be unlawful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and counties that have looked at their fees and fines policies around the state have, have come to that same conclusion. The other, which I found very interesting, is that often they really aren't collecting so much of the money and that that the amount it takes to pay the people who are collecting that money, uh, if you subtract it out, the counties aren't really getting that much more in terms of revenue. And so although they want to keep raising those levels of fees and fines, they're finding that they're not actually getting any more revenue. So
0: part of the question is, is this a policy that works and that makes sense? Uh, Does it deter crime? Does it actually fund the agencies? Mm -hmm. And you may be able to figure that out. That's right. So more examples, because this is great stuff.
1: So one project that uh, we're working on has to do with assessing the increases in the minimum wage that have happened at a number of cities around Mm -hmm. the state, Mm -hmm. as well as at the state level. Uh, And so this is a topic that has been looked into before by by a number of different academics. We're taking a little bit of a different lens on it, and part of that is looking at the micro-effects on different kinds of populations, and whether or not it affects employment at, in those different populations, mm-hmm. the second sort of different lens that we 're taking is looking at the impact of minimum wage increases on the unemployment insurance system itself mm-hmm. um, and so you can imagine it affecting it in a number of ways and, and, and we think that 's an important question for for the people who sort of own the unemployment insurance project uh, program excuse me and, uh, and, and might be looking to sort of understand how uh, minimum wage changes around the country could could affect that program. This was a big issue
2: in some of the debates over raising the state minimum wage, that when you do that, it, it turns out to have pretty big consequences for the state budget hmm. and they are not very well understood, and so this sort of this kind of study
0: will but allow us. Give it. me an idea. How does it have an impact for the state budget? Because people are earning more, would, how does that affect well, the state budget?
2: So this project, for example, on the unemployment insurance implications, if people earn more, they may become eligible for unemployment insurance, so they wouldn't have been I otherwise. See. Okay. There, it, it's possible that the minimum wage increase makes it take longer for people to find jobs, and so they draw unemployment insurance benefits for longer. On the other side of the, of the ledger, it's also right that there are a lot, large number of people who are paid by the state who are earning the minimum wage. And so when you raise the minimum wage, the state's, the state's wage bill goes budget up. budget
0: goes up. So there's a lot to be learned here and to put it all together and to understand it, it better. So how are the agencies reacting to this? Are they excited by this, or wary of it, or what's the attitude?
1: I mean, thus far we've gotten a tremendous response from the government partners who we've been talking to. I mean, uh, I think that many of them have uh, wanted to do this kind of uh, research partnerships, these kind of research partnerships, uh, but didn't necessarily know how to set them up, um, and uh, also are pleased to find out that we're able to offer these services for free. Uh, and to connect them with some world-class academics uh, who are working in the same areas that they're working in. So thus far, if anything, we've gotten sort of too much interest in in, in the project uh, and, and we're trying to figure out ways to sort of triage that, that interest and come up with the projects that make the most sense.
0: So interest on their how about academics? Because academics, we are told, often like their ivory towers, they want to do their research. Have they taken to this?
2: And I think actually one of the things that's made this attractive to to agencies is that the agencies have experience talking to academics who come into them and say, why don't you give me your data and I'm going to write my next paper with it. And the agency doesn't get anything out of that. And so one of the things that's appealing to them is that we're bringing academics who are interested in engaging and trying to make government better. Mm-hmm. So we've put together a team that spans Berkeley and UCLA. We've got, we've got operations in both places because we're trying to meet the needs of the geographically large and thematically large state. And so we we, I, not every academic is interested, but there mm-hmm. are a lot of Goldman School faculty and faculty elsewhere at the two universities who are who are very interested in this kind so of. So there, way.
0: there really is interest in this. When you add data sets together, my experience always was that they become more useful exponentially. In other words, one data set you can do some things with, yet another data set and you can do not just double, but maybe quadruple the amount you could do before, and then it goes just up like that. Is that right? Is it really? Just give some examples of how adding one data set to another. I guess your high utilizers is one example, uh, but give some other examples as well.
2: That's definitely our expectation, is that as we we scale this up, we'll have more to offer to each extra agency that we're working with.
0: So do you see this expanding, and how are you going to fund it as it expands? You said you're not going to charge the agencies, at least initially, so they're not going to be paying for it. Uh, The University of California is getting its budget cut periodically and not exactly has a treasure trove of money. So how are you gonna fund this?
1: We have seed money to start up from uh, some generous uh, donations from private foundation, from a private foundation and some other private individuals. I think over the long term, what we would like to have is a funding mechanism that includes both the philanthropic sector as well as support from the state government, uh, which we've gotten some indications that there will be some uh, potential willingness to do that. Uh, as well as uh, through sort of project-based funding on the various projects that we're working on uh, and hopefully some support from the university as well.
0: And so you're thinking that as you prove the success of your model, people are going to say that's worth investing in. That's the hope.
1: That's our hope. But
0: I, I,
2: one, one piece of the funding model is, the pro, is what Evan called project-based. There, there is funding out there for research projects that, that aren't currently feasible. And so you can't get the funding if you can't do the project. This this infrastructure will unlock projects that are very fundable. Mm-hmm. And, and we think part of the funding model is going to be that that opens up the possibility of, of funding those projects that we just couldn't do before.
1: And I think that's an inadvertent benefit of, of the policy, but it wasn't sort of our initial thinking. But, but I think that uh, for, for folks who are doing uh, sort of research on how, on government programs – Uh, working with the Policy Lab does open up some of those opportunities because uh, we've gotten a a number of folks who are interested in projects we are already doing in other sectors. So
0: So this is a question that's more speculative, but I think it's important to ask, which is do you think there's enormous opportunities here to actually make government work better? I think everybody feels that in some spheres, yes, government may do a good job, but there's just a lot of spheres that we all worry it's not doing the
1: job it should be doing. And do you think this could really materially help? So uh, former head of the OMB, Peter Orzag, used to say that uh, of all of the $800 billion we spend on social services, and that's not including the transfer programs, we know outcomes for about 1%. Um, if that's true, and I'm not saying it's true, but it's probably, you know, well, not orders not of true. magnitude. <laughs> right. He's a smart guy. so yeah. uh, and, uh the fact is, is there is a lot of low-hanging fruit here. I think that even if we can't get every sector of government working better, I think there's a lot of ways that government can work to to serve individuals better. And, and you know, as Jesse was saying before, the, the people who we're working with are interested in helping individuals and families improve their lives, right? They're all doing it in a different way and and from different angles. But if we can try and sort of open up that whole family or whole individual perspective where you can see not just what's happening in someone's educational life, but also what's happening in their housing situation or in the social the ways that they interact with the social safety net or employment, then all of a sudden you get a much different picture of who you're serving. And I think that inevitably that knowledge will lead to better service and, and better outcomes for those individuals. Jesse? I think it's I, I agree with all of that. I
2: would add that it's particularly important for California right now that there's a lot of uncertainty about the current political moment, but I think one thing that's very clear is that California is going to have to take more responsibility for designing and overseeing the services that it's providing because the federal government isn't going to be doing it. And California hasn't had the kind of research capacity that the federal government has had. It needs to it needs to build a lot more of that. And this can help this can help it do that without spending inordinate amounts of money on it.
0: Is there a turn in the social sciences and in the kind of work we do in public policy where increasingly we are really focused on working with governments to make things better, that social science is now not just something done in the ivory tower. It's something that really almost requires linkages with government and with the private sector by that way, matter as well because they've got the data and information that we need in order to do good research and find out what works and what doesn't.
2: There is a long-run trend away from survey data, which, by the way, was typically collected by the government also, so it's not as if we're, we were ever independent of the government, towards data that's collected as part of the normal operations of either private companies or, or public agencies. In part, that's because people are surveyed too much and they don't want to answer. In part, it's because the data that's there's more data being collected as a matter of course, and it's better quality in some ways.
0: But has there been a change in the disciplines, too? I mean, I get a sense that economists who for many years were quite theoretical and were quite happy to write out mathematical models and publish them, at least there's a good subset of economists who say, no, no, you've got to get your hands dirty, got to get into the data and find out what's going on in the real world.
2: Right. Part of what brought me into economics is a sense that the discipline was changing, mm-hmm. that right now it's, theoretical research is a very small minority of the research that economists are doing and increasingly people are realizing that they need to get beyond their models and really understand what's going on in the real world, and that requires being much closer to the data and to the, to the context in which you're working.
1: My hope is that uh, not only can we become a center for doing this kind of work where there's partnerships between research academics at, at the University of California and, and, and government partners on the government side, but also that it enacts a, a culture change within, within government at the California level, right? Um, showing people the possibilities that this can unlock and showing people that they can now ask themselves new questions that they hadn't thought possible to answer before, right? So that they don't just look at their uh, their specific program, but also sort of how are other things potentially impacting the people who are in that program and how might their program intersect with other parts of that person's life. Uh, and so I think if we can enact that culture change which, within California government, what you'll find is that a lot of people are coming to do a lot of more projects with us and also are doing some of that on their own. And that, I would really like to see that happen where, you know, maybe at some point, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's a number of other places where this kind of work gets done because there's so much interest in it.
0: So, Evan— One thing somebody might say is, oh, it's great that academics want to be helpful, but how can a bunch of academics at the University of California at Berkeley actually understand the complexities of what government tries to do?
1: Sure. It's a legitimate question because I think that the government frankly speaks a different language than than a lot of the academics do. One of the things we've aimed to do in setting up the California Policy Lab is making sure that we have a lot of government experience we can bring to bear. So Jesse used to be in government, he worked at the Council of Economic Advisors, uh, was also Chief Economist at the uh, Department of Labor. Uh, I'm a serial governmentalist, I've worked at a number of different places around uh, around mostly federal government and, and come most recently from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau where I spent five years and worked uh, on a lot of data-driven policy at the CFPB. We also have an executive director at our Los Angeles site uh, who comes most recently uh, from, uh, she was the deputy chief of staff uh, in uh, the Chicago mayor's office and also worked previously uh, for uh, the New York City mayor. And so we try and bring a lot of government expertise to bear and, and both Janie and I have been on the government side of of this equation, uh, trying to get research done and and setting up some of those partnerships. And a lot of
0: the academics you have affiliated with the center have had extensive governmental experience. That's exactly uh, right. In either working directly in government or actually long-term relationships, working with government agencies to help them. That's
2: exactly right. So we know what it's like to be on the government side and see the research coming in that's coming from academics and may not be quite speaking the right language and we know what kind of research is useful, and so we're, we know what we need to produce.
0: And, and maybe agencies would come to you, and they might even compete to try to see who can outdo one another in terms of learning how to do their work better and maybe working together to do their work better. And that's the kind of thing we need in government. We need that kind of entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. let's-do-things-in-a-new-way kind of spirit and approach.
2: Yeah. yeah, one of the promises of this is allowing the agencies to work together in ways and break down the silos right. between them. So that they can take that high utilizer idea and bring it to a larger scale and start to think about how interactions among programs really matter, and we need to and we 'll be able to, to see that a lot more easily
1: there 's a quote by a Frenchman whose name I always forget, but that tries to, that guides my work in this particular endeavor, which is, "If you want to build a boat don 't go out there and show them how to cut down the trees and put it together and to make this thing that floats." Teach them to yearn for the vastness of the ocean,
0: <laughs> and I think that's what okay. we'd like
1: to try and do over the long term. So teach them to.
0: That's great. I like that. Thank you. Uh, we all yearn for government that works better, and the Goldman School is devoted and dedicated to that. And I'm so thrilled with what you're doing uh, with the California Policy Lab to try to make that happen. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. Amy.